Welcome to Pep Talks, People Empowering People. These uplifting interviews allow everyday people to share their not-so-everyday stories of resiliency to help you get through your story. This is your host, Casey Crawford Kellum. I'm a widow who has certainly faced my share of adversity, but I continue to keep on dancing. I'm a school counselor, author, yoga instructor, motivational speaker, and former business owner and special ed teacher, and now podcaster. My journey is about helping you to get through your journey. Ray Bassin has experienced 35 years of drug addiction in and out of jails and hospitals where he spent three weeks in a coma and two months learning how to walk again. Ray survived seven open heart surgeries, three in one year, brain surgery, and an amputated left foot, all while remaining in a 12-step fellowship program. Ray has been clean and sober now for four-plus years. He is semi-back to work, living a productive life, and even started his own small business. At any point, Ray could have given up, but he chose to overcome and adapt to a new way of life. Join me in welcoming Ray Basson. Hi, Ray. How are you doing today? Good. How are you today? Oh, we're living the dream, right? Living the dream. Exactly. <laughs> Wonderful day to be alive, even though it's raining. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. We put things in perspective, don't we, when we go through so much in our lives. Uh, and I, I appreciate you offering your story to the listeners today, because it's quite a story. I, I packed a lot, lot in just in the intro, and I'm sure listeners like, wow, you know, this, this takes a lot of courage for it takes courage for anybody to share their story, but when you've been through some pretty tough stuff like yourself, uh, it takes a lot. And I just want to start off by saying thank you, and I appreciate you for taking this time because I really think your story is going to help a lot of others, especially going through different stages in their lives, the young and the older, uh, in dealing with any kind of addictions. So um, why don't you? Take us back. It was about 35 years of addiction, and you've been about four years or so uh, clean. So I'm guessing somewhere 40 years ago, you kind of started getting into some stuff. Is that is my math correct about there? Uh, just about. First of all, I'd like to say thank you, and I'd also like to thank you for giving me the opportunity to share on this platform. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, – I was really young. I, I, I remember it, it didn't really start getting crazy. And I, I remember my first time drinking. Um, I'm Jewish. So for your Jewish listeners, will know what the Passover Seder is. Um, and the cup of Elijah. Well, I drank the entire cup of Elijah. I started laughing. I fell on the ground and, um, I always remembered that, but things didn't really progress until, um, you know, I was mainly, I was mainly a good kid. You know, I was never really into that much trouble. The trouble that I did get into wasn't anything major, but, uh, right around ninth grade, I want to say in between eighth and ninth grade. Um, I uh, 
I started smoking marijuana and uh I remember when I took that first drag and I said this is nothing I don't I don't feel anything the next thing I know I'm on the ground laughing I was at school at the time actually oh my god and um <laughs> I know <laughs> uh and I was just I was laughing so hard and I remember for that split second I didn't think about any of my problems growing up my childhood pretty much disappeared right there um yeah, so you you found a quick escape you immediately realized wow this was a real quick escape to reality everything i've been through you recognize that pretty quick off yeah absolutely and uh the crazy part about it was <clears throat> excuse me i uh went up i was in these um smaller classes for uh learning disabilities sure and my teacher pulled me outside because she wanted to ask me a question and i remember just looking at her not hearing a word she was saying thinking oh my god she knows i'm high she knows i'm high <laughs> and i taught so. i taught learning disabled kids i taught a taught special ed and i'll tell you what <laughs> i did know when a lot of my kids were high <laughs> they usually had the munchies and you know took all the candy <laughs> <laughs> so but you don't think this teacher caught on huh <laughs> <laughs> she probably did <laughs> i think i actually emailed her once and told her what what was going on all those years oh so yeah, yeah. So, so there you were, ninth grade, you took that hit, and you started laughing. I was like, hmm, wow, during that short period of time, I forgot everything about my childhood. And, and there you were, it was probably a little bit of a love there. It was a nice oh, yeah. escape. Absolutely. And so did, did you have a pretty rough childhood? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was, um, it was a childhood I like to say to for people that understand, um, I grew up in the house of horrors. Um, you know, you just never knew what was going to happen and who it was going to happen to. Um, a lot of fear, a lot of fear. Um, you know, it was the seventies and the eighties, so it wasn't a whole lot of resources for children to go get the help that they needed um but if the law knew what was going on in my house a lot of people would have been in jail for a gotcha. very long time okay. so i just leave it at that leave it at that okay and yeah. all right so you lived with a lot of fear growing up in the 70s and 80s and at that time children's services wasn't really a big thing six nine six kids and all that wasn't yeah really, no really mm -mm. big stuff really round and 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 the funny thing is when when you would try to tell somebody they would call you a liar and you would actually get beat for telling right and and everybody turned mostly everybody turned a blind eye so you know, it was, uh, accepted back then, you know, oh, you got the wooden paddle, you got beats, you know, mm -hmm. they would happen under your roof, happened under your roof, and you probably did something to deserve it. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, people in our generation can probably tell some wild stories of what took place that certainly would not be acceptable these days and would warrant oh, yeah. <laughs> a lot of oh yeah. A lot of intervention from children's services. Oh yeah, so, absolutely. So when you were in high school, aside from being in some of those smaller classes for kids with some special needs, were you involved at all? Were you in any sports or activities? I was in marching band. I did, uh, I ran track. I, I, I was born with a uh, congenital heart defect. And um, I really, I fell in love with the game of football. God, 86. So when the Browns got the drive, the infamous drive, uh, that was my first game I ever watched. And I was hooked. So I wanted to be a football player so bad, but none of my doctors would let me. Um, They said, it was like a blow to the gut. But I found other ways. I mean, I I love playing baseball. I love playing soccer. Um, But I, I, I wasn't really over the top good or one of the best and I wasn't a coach's son so <clears throat> so there wasn't really a whole lot of playing time but um one thing I did do was run real fast I was a oh. really really fast runner and you could and do that with your heart condition oh yes yes they actually talk it's um uh recommended okay Gotcha. So the football you couldn't do because of the contact. That was what right. would impact you. Gotcha. Okay. But right. the running is okay and recommended for your congenital heart disorder. Mm-hmm. So you were a fast runner. And did you stay in track throughout high school or did the drugs start to take over a little bit then? There, there was a tipping point. Um, I really enjoyed being on the high school track team. Um I I remember <clears throat> I remember running up against this guy and uh it was just me and him at the end and uh it was at my school so the fans in the stands so to speak and I I had my I heard my name being called and yelled and that was really exciting and uh I I uh decided that I was going to smoke some weed with a friend of mine. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, the next day, <clears throat> and I went up to the coach, and I was baked. He says, I says, I can't come to, to practice today. It's um, I'm sick. <laughs> he says, you look disheveled. I'm like, oh, what's that mean? <laughs> so he knew, he knew what. <laughs> He knew that that I was um, not going to practice because of my preference and getting high instead. But right after that, things just started falling off the rails. It was um, it was party time. And what grade was this? Like tenth grade or so? I want to say between it's it was either tenth or eleventh. Okay. Um, this was the nineties. So it's like, I hate to say I'm getting old, but <laughs> my memories like, that was a while ago, but yeah, it's like, uh, it was upper, upper classmen. Yeah. Okay. So you're partying now in high school. And so did track go by the wayside by sophomore, junior year? 
Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. My so senior year, my senior year, I didn't do anything. I didn't even. I participated in the marching band, and that was about it. Gotcha. After that, I lost complete. Um, I lost complete interest in anything that was going on at that school. Who was doing it? I didn't want to be around anybody except my friends that were drinking and drugging like I was. And were you getting into anything aside from smoking marijuana and drinking alcohol in high school? Um, uh, that, I think that was the year that we all decided to try LSD. Gotcha. Um, but then I, I dropped out, I'd say halfway through my senior year. And that's, that's when the other stuff started happening. And what was the other stuff? Um, LSD and I started snorting coke, cocaine. Mm -hmm. um, and boy, did I love cocaine. Oh my God. You talk about, it, it just, it took away any type of pain that I felt, period. And that's what I was looking for. I was just looking for a way to get rid of the pain. <clears throat> Some people deal with pain differently. Um, I'd say uh, some people act like they're not in pain. Some people want to put other people through pain. Me, I put myself through pain. Gotcha. No, you've got a um, cocaine is known for the euphoria it creates, and mm -hmm. you just are in this uh, state of happiness, and there are no problems, and you've got all the energy in the world, and you're on top of the world until you come down and if you yeah, let yourself then, come down <laughs> and then you come back up and it's a vicious cycle. Um, well, that was the whole, the whole key to that was um, the biggest fear that I did have was coming down. So somebody just asked me the other day what my choice was. And I said, my choice was more and my worst fear was running out. Right. <laughs> so I get it. So, so when did you start, you had some problems with the law then. So when did yeah. that all begin? That happened in my teens, my late teens, 18, 19. Um, I caught a multiple, multiple felonies. Um, still till today, it's it affects my records. However, I think... Um, I think now when we do a background check because it's been so long um they don't go away but they're not really looked at as much gotcha but as when it was in the first 10 15 and 20 years since it all happened well we had a multiple indictment i had a co-defendant and um we uh we broke into his parents house and stole a bunch of money and credit cards and drugs that were on the shelf and just had a real good time. Gotcha. <clears throat> so you did pieces, parts of time here and there kind, yeah. of, kind of getting your fix, getting money. Well, well I didn't, uh, I think I was 35. I remember I got pulled over 
I was either 34 or 35 or something like that. And I remember getting pulled over and they took my license. I had a light bulb out in my rear turn signal. And uh, he says, yeah, just, uh, you know, go get um, that light fixed. And as I was leaving and I was driving down the street, I had a buddy of mine with me. I says, you know what? (laughs) This has been the first time since I was 16 years old that I got pulled over and did not go to jail. Wow. (laughs) It's like crazy. I'm like, wow. And it was uh, like a whole year since that i said wow i haven't been to jail at all this year wow and that then, you had to be really scared and crapping yourself oh, yeah. when you got pulled over because you're used to oh, yeah. going to jail mm-hmm. right after and this was the first time you didn't well if any if anybody's listening that that has lived that type of life you know when you see the lights you light up a cigarette because you know it's not going to have one for a little while so you smoke a cigarette and then you and then if they see the second car pull up you're gone. Oh so, my gosh. Oh my yeah. gosh. So you had a little, you know, you were engaged in, you know, use of drugs and a little bit problems with the law there. Kind of it seems to they usually run hand in hand because you need money to keep the habit going. So you try right. to find places to get that money from, which is usually against the law. So you get into this vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. And then you know, you already were came into this with a, a congenital heart failure, and now you're on cocaine, which really isn't good for the heart. Did that mm-hmm. contribute to the seven open heart surgeries that you ended up having? And did um, no, I I had my first surgery, open heart surgery, when I was three years old. Um, wow. then I had another one when I was sixteen. And that's when I figured out that I liked morphine. Uh Um, And then again, when I was 30. Yeah, uh, three, 16, and then 30 years of age. Wow. And between the 16, I think I spent two years after the 16, after I was 16, not on drugs. And then every time after that, I was always on something. Did the surgery when you were 16 kind of scare you about getting on drugs because you had problems uh, with your heart? Or no, I when when I was when I was 16 and for most of my life I always felt like I was invincible. Nothing scared me, and that was my major problem was the fact that I didn't have any fear, but but of the fear, um, you know, when I was a kid at that early developmental stage in your life, your mind becomes numb. And especially if you're, you're uh, exposed to hardcore stuff at that young of an age, you become, you become numb to just about anything. So I didn't really, I always thought that I'd be all right, that nah, it's not going to get me. I'll be fine. And it'll believe me, my brother, my ma, everybody said I was stupid for using drugs while I had that uh, with a bad heart. Yeah, sure, sure. Like a death wish there. And, and in fact, um, 
you were in a coma at one point. When did that happen? Well, that happened back in 2016. Oh, my gosh. What happened there? Well, due to my progression in my addictions and whatnot, I call it a disease. Some people can argue that, but in my mind, in my life, it's a disease. So, and I just focus on what, what I believe for myself because certainly it, it's just, it's best to keep it simple. Absolutely. So <clears throat> back, so, I mean, I, you name it, I did it, but the biggest thing that happened was, and I, I don't know how many years it was, but shortly before all that, I started, I became a full fledged heroin addict and I was shooting it and all this good stuff. And one day I remember, Oh my God. I remember I was at one of my friend's house. I was cutting his grass and I, I was like dope sick. And I don't know if you've ever heard that word before. No. <clears throat> it's a uh, withdrawal. The, oh. the withdrawal from, from opiates is like, you can, you can feel your hair. That's how your hair hurts. That's why <laughs> there's no other way to say it. Everything hurts. Uh, stomach is upset. You're sweating. Um, but it was, um, it was uh, right before the summer in June. Actually, as a matter of fact, it was um, game four of the 2016 NBA finals. <laughs> Roughly. <laughs> No, it was game four. I know it was game four. <laughs> That's the only reason why I know what day it is. Uh, <laughs> but um, but earlier that day, I remember having this profound thought. Now, I've always had a, a little connection, personal connection with God or what I believe is God. and. Now, I, and I'm going to get a little graphic here, but my life was so dark. I was in such a dark place. I weighed, I'd had to say no less, no more than 98 pounds, 99 pounds, Jeez. soaking wet. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was just, I felt so grimy, so worthless. I was completely beaten down. I could not get or stay clean, period for nothing, even though I wanted to. And I've always been ex exposed to a 12-step fellowship since a, a young age. And I remember them saying, pray to God, pray to God. And I used to pray to God all the way up to the dope boy's house. Um, you know, please God, don't let him answer the phone. Please God, don't let me, don't, don't let me get to the house. Please God, don't let him answer the door. Please God, don't let him take my monies. Please, God, make him not have anything. Please, God, don't let me do this hit. And then after I did the hit, boop, that was it. Wow. No more God. <laughs> sure. But sure. Um, so back to my friend's lawn, and I remember doing this, and I turned the mower off, and I had this thought, and I said, and I needed to say it this way. I said, you MFR. If this is the way you want me to live, then take me now. But if you don't want me to live this way, 
give me a clear, concisive sign. Because you know how stubborn and, and knuckleheaded I am. Let me know that it's you that's saving my life. Or you want me to live a different way. And uh, the feeling went away just as quick as it came. And I, I went home and I watched game four. We went down three to one. And I got pissed off at the Cavs and I went to sleep. I woke up. I couldn't breathe. And uh, they took me to a hospital and I woke up three weeks later. I don't know what happened in the finals, so don't tell me. Please don't. Uh. <laughs> 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 now, had you been using heroin that whole day? Pretty much. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Actually, actually, there was some left over that you know I've been told nobody could find it, but I I like to think that they found it and got rid of it because they knew I was done. Okay. All right. So um, you had. There, you ended up basic. Did you have a heart attack at that point? Uh, I had what's called a. I had a, a heart aneurysm. Oh my god! That it ricocheted off my heart, and on that valve that they replaced when I was thirty years old, had a vegetation on it, um, which is called endocarditis. And then when it gets into your bloodstream. Endocarditis is, is an infection. Okay. And uh, that that um, clot went and it, it hit that valve and shot the infection through my body. Oh my god! And gosh. that's when it went and it went septic. So I had what's called septic endocarditis, and that's pretty much a death sentence. Like you're not coming back from this. Wow. Um, but I had no, I, you know, I, there's a bunch of stuff that happened when I was in a coma that happened to me while I was sleeping, but that's like, not many people believe that story, but it, for me, it was very true. And anyway, the, uh, clot formed in my groin and it's actually, it's still there now. They just bypassed it. But, um, that was a little later on. Well, so yeah, I was in pretty bad shape. Um, and this is in 2016. So this is four years ago. Mm -hmm. You're in this coma. That's, you know, a result of this infection of valves going through your body, becomes septic. I'm guessing the drugs helped prompt this aneurysm in one way or another. It's so a nice. Yeah, in inadvertently. Yes. I, yeah. I see it. It's it, the doctors said that, it was going to happen anyway because I didn't take care of myself. Sure. But I still say I would have been taking care of myself if I wasn't concerned with getting and using drugs. Sure, sure. So so when you came out of that, I mean, you had, were in for three weeks and you came out of that and you, you probably had some, some experiences like you mentioned during those three weeks that mm. uh, changed you for life. Yes. And you've the, now... The biggest, the, go ahead, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, because now you're in this 12-step program and um, you, you've you kept yourself clean since that. So something something big happened during those three weeks that really, for once, changed you. 
I mean, you did some time in jail. You, you disappointed people throughout but your time. You had different experiences for many years, but suddenly you're in this coma and you come out of it. And that was, that was the ticket that has kept you clean. Yeah, it was, um, I had a, I had a clear image of the result of my actions. <clears throat> a couple things happened. I was immediately out of a coma. My older brother had come up to me and he had asked me, he said, <clears throat> excuse me, he says, are you done with all that, that shit? And I'm like, you know, I couldn't talk. So I just nodded. Yes. He says, are you done destroying yourself? And I said, yes. And he says, can you, can you get over our father never being around? And I says, yeah, because that was a big thing too. I, I was always upset about my father never being in my life. And um, that was a, it, it was just a convenient excuse to continue destroying myself. But I said, yes. And I didn't, I didn't make, like, I knew I was done, but I didn't know what I was going to do instead. Um, I couldn't walk. I, I was in bed. They told me I was never going to walk again. They told me that I was going to be bedridden for the rest of my life. They told me that my lungs failed, my kidneys failed. I was on dialysis. They told me that my heart is failure and in heart failure and just so many things. Um, it was a lot of reflection time. And the only people that came to see me were my brother and my, uh, mom and my, uh, my wife. So wife at the time. Um, <clears throat> so after that, called home and I wanted to talk to my daughter. I have a daughter and a son. My daughter was, I think she was about 16 at the time. Um, I had said, don't you want to come up and see dad? Cause I'm, she wouldn't talk to me. And I says, I want to talk to her, put her on the phone. You know, still a little bit of that, that jerk left demanding and wanting to control situations like, put her on the phone. How dare she disrespect me like that? Doesn't she know what I've been through? And not once did I even take one second to think about anything that she's been through. Sure. Um, I demanded, and she said, she got on the phone and I asked her if she wanted to come see me, that I'd like to see her. I haven't seen her in a while and I miss her. She said, my daughter is a firecracker. I, I, I mean... <laughs> anybody listening that knows me and her will know exactly. She, she said, no. And I said, well, I want you to come see me. She says, no, I'm not coming to see you. She's like, I don't even want to talk to you in this angry voice. And then I started crying and I'm like, please, please. And I begged her to come see me. And when she came to see me, she says, I, I thanked her for coming. And she says, I didn't even want to talk to you on the phone. I only came because you wanted me to come see you. 
And I said, I promise you I'll never do this again. She said, if you f- were for, if you fuck up one more time, that's it. Consider me dead. Wow. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> and um, another gut punch. Like, I mean, it blew all, all that pain just blew out with that one gut punch from my daughter. So it was my brother's questioning and my daughter's comments that seriously made me decide that I had to take new action. Good for you. Wow. So now you're coming out of this, you have all sorts of, of body parts failing. Is this when you ended up having uh, your foot amputated? No, the foot, the foot amputation is only two years old. Okay. So, um, I had, uh, I had gotten out of the hospital and they wanted, they were putting me in rehab and not, not drug rehab, but rehab to learn how to live life again. Sure, because like I said, I, right. I couldn't do anything. And, um, I found out that my heart had slipped back into heart failure. Plus I was going to dialysis. And um, they said that I needed a major, major reconstruction of my heart. Jeez. And at the time I was with UH, and the UH doctor said there's nothing they can do. So I took that as, you know, they did say they could do something for me. They can make me comfortable and put me in hospice care. Once he said hospice care, I, I knew exactly what was up. And I'm sitting here staring at death in the eyes again. And um And you're young. You were young. Yeah, right? 40, 41. 41 at the time. Wow. Mm. And um so he did so for a good <laughs> good solid month there, I thought I was never gonna wake up. <clears throat> but he told me that there was a doctor that he reached out to was the doctor that did my surgery when I was 30. And he wanted me to come talk to him. So I made an appointment to see this doctor. And, oh, he's just the best at what he does. Um, Top notch. And... I sat in his office and I remember my, my, my good friend, she, she, her and her husband came with me and I remember I was holding her hand while I was waiting to hear the response on whether he could do this surgery. And he started naming off all this stuff. He says, we're going to give you a mechanical valve. We're going to have to do an aortic root replacement and we're going to have to go through the chest again. So this would be the fourth time that I've, gone no this would be the one two three about sixth time okay wow that that they went through my chest cavity oh my god um so he says it's risky he says but i'm more confident because i wanted a number i wanted to know what the survival rate was going to be he says i can't give you that but i'm confident that that you'll pull through just fine. And I did, obviously, because I'm on the phone with you. But um right, thank goodness. Wow. Well But I but I never gave up in that time. I mean I, I I was still going to meetings. Um I 
reached out for help. I told people what was going on with me. My family rallied behind me. My friends rallied behind me. I had so much support. Um, it was all the a, resiliency pieces that you need. This is I'm exactly, telling you, it, I could have never have done it alone. I you could know. have never have done it alone. And so, and that's so, so true. I mean, this part of, you know, resiliency is believing that you can get through it and having the love, having that support is huge. Um, and, and, you know, your daughter, your brother, your mother, that kind of support's huge to get you through. And, and talk to me about, like, throughout all this, what was your dream? Like, did you have anything like, I'm going to get through this because I still want to do what? Is there anything you still wanted to do or want to do? <laughs> I watched uh, a video of a guy, an amputee, <clears throat> climbing the steps in Philadelphia and doing the Rocky theme with his mm-hmm. arms up in there and stuff. I wanted to do that. Okay. I have yet to do it, but I still want to do it. But good. Hey, I, um, don't give up on I, your dreams. I, I want to play softball next year, next summer, if possible. Absolutely. Um, and it's, it's, it's taken a lot of work to get there. Um, I just got a new leg. So it has a different mechanism in it. The other one I had was fixed, kind of. And this one has a lot more motion and a lot more knee room. And so. Is it your foot or your leg that's amputated? Are you- I'm below the knee. Below the knee. Okay. I have a right. friend that uh, had similar surgery, similar amputation, and has a new mm-hmm. leg with an ankle that now gets yeah, that's, a little more. Yep. Yep. Right. That's what I. Uh, thing is awesome. Yeah. I'll tell you. Yeah, it's like almost, I almost feel like I never lost my leg. You know? it gives I didn't you have to put it on every day. Right. A lot more movement. Good for you. Well, you have your dreams that I hope you never give up on. You have your family support. And you're going to these meetings, which are helping you to continue to stay sober, which has been over four years. Uh, before we uh, finish up here, what advice would you give you know, a ninth grader who wants to explore getting stoned or a high school kid that wants to throw away that track or the band? What, would you, what advice would you give a teen? I'd have to say, think of that thing that you want to do. And that you love to do and all the people that you love and all the people that love you and just say goodbye to all of it. Wow. Because that's, that's the ultimate. I mean, experimentation and abuse are two different things, but experimentation, not everybody that, has smoked it, has become an addict, but all addicts that I know have smoked it. Right, right. So <laughs> it's, it's on my end of the spectrum, it's it's 100%. I don't know what it is with everybody else in the world, but that's not, I just know that everybody that their lives have gotten really, really bad and, and succumbed to addiction <clears throat> started with the experimentation. Right, right. And I'll tell you, um, I've been in education for 30 years. I lost a lot of students, a lot of students to heroin, too many. Mm. And 
thankfully there's there's a number of them that are alive that are clean there's a number of them that are alive that aren't clean and i you know almost cringe anytime i see a facebook post from any of my former students just hoping it's not about mm. a couple of these students and I, i've been with them i've talked to them about this they've talked about um i didn't know the the term for it but they've been in that awful pain of re you know trying to stay off the drugs and the uh the feeling like they're just like you said feeling their hair hurts the pain mm. of the withdrawals was too much that they had to get back on so yeah. i i've that's as close as i've come to uh being with people that are truly addicted to heroin and it breaks my heart and i'll tell you it was some of the students i would never ever in a million years have ever suspected even getting right. involved in drugs as i was there right. middle school counselor so it can happen to anybody anytime and it certainly is does feel like a great numbing agent to the problems that kids face but ultimately it doesn't get rid of those problems. It just adds layers and layers and layers of more problems that creates mm -hmm. so much more stress from the family, unlike mm -hmm. the stress that they had ever experienced before. So I really appreciate you, Ray, sharing your story and, and being vulnerable and telling, telling it how it was. And um, I appreciate you being real with us and being honest with us because that's not easy to do to tell about all this stuff that you did that, you know, was illegal and, and wasn't right. But there's so many people out there that I know will benefit from this conversation, having hope and boy, how, how strong is it to be able to tell a kid, Hey, everything that you want to do, everything you enjoy doing, all those people you love, just say goodbye to all of it because that's, what's going to happen if you get addicted and, and you went through that and you almost lost everybody, almost lost your life as well. And I'm so mm -hmm. grateful that you're alive and you're you're alive now, I'm sure, to share your journey with others, to help them through their journey and to be the light to those in darkness, which I hope this interview helps those experiencing any kind of darkness with drug addictions to perhaps take on, go to a 12-step program or get involved in rehab, reach out to anybody, including me for help and we'll get you to where you need to go so that you can get better again. So well, if anybody, if anybody's listening and they, they, they need help and they reach out to you, you can always give them my number. Um, this one thing that I always will do is answer the phone for somebody that's seeking help. I appreciate that. And that's kind of the brotherhood of, of your organization, that 12 step. That's what you guys mm -hmm. all do. You band together to help one another. And I, I love that about your organization uh, that you really are there for one another. Um, so listeners, if you have anybody send them my way, I'll link them to Ray Basson, who is four years clean now, having gone through many surgeries and amputation little bit of jail time here and there, lots of downs and some ups and is now in the in the upswing and hopefully continues to stay in that upswing. I look forward to seeing Ray uh, posting on Facebook, him climbing those Philadelphia steps, and then <laughs> look forward to seeing his season playing softball next year. I'm a believer, okay, Ray. Thank you so much for interviewing with me today, Ray Basson. 
Thank you. Thank you very much. We learned from Ray Basson that if you want to experience drugs, first, think about what you want to do, what you enjoy, the people you love, and who love you, and then say goodbye to all of that. Doing drugs may help you to temporarily forget all of your problems, but in the long run, it will only create larger problems. When you are exposed to hardcore drugs, you have no fear and actually become numb. Never giving up, having family and friends support, and following your dreams all help you get through addictions. Today's gratitude is, Recovery is Hard, Regret is Harder, by Brittany Bergunder. Don't Let the Past Steal Your Present by Terry Gilmetz. And even in the midst of devastation, something within us always points the way to freedom by Sharon Salzberg. Well, that's it for today's interview. We hope our guest's story helps you get through your story. Don't stop believing and keep on dancing.